from indies to foreign films, from the underseen to the underrated, this is Not Your Average Movie Podcast. Alright everybody, welcome to Not Your Average Movie Podcast. Not Your Average Movie Podcast. It's a podcast that ain't average. And just tell us why it's not average, Tom. I mean, we're two white guys just reviewing movies, so I feel like uh, maybe that that is a little bit average. But what do we do here? Well, for anyone new here, we talk about underseen films, underrated films, independent films, pretty much anything that hasn't been seen by the general public. We cover it here. We talk about it. And every once in a while, I'm hoping to bring some more guests on as we continue the podcast. That's what we do. I'm your host, Tom Stift, and with me is my good buddy, Adam Demandictus. It's a pleasure to be here. It's my pleasure to have you here, good sir, as always. Oh, yes, thank you. <laughs> and we are <laughs> we are just two awkward dudes um, that uh, our fiancés make fun of us when we talk together. Like, is that even a real conversation? So here we are, just broadcasting our conversations to the world. Yes, let's tell the world how awkward we really are by talking about the thing oh, yeah. we are very passionate about. Movies. Movies. And what movie are we talking about today? Uh, we are talking about Upgrade from 2018, uh, directed by the writer of Saw 1, 2, and 3, Lee Winnell. As a quadriplegic, it must be frustrating for you, someone who likes to get things done with their hands. Here's the thing. Four guys murdered my wife. If I could find these men, I'd do it. What if I told you I could offer you something that would enable you to walk again? I call it STEM. A computer chip that has the potential to change everything. It's a new, better brain. I am STEM. The system operating your body for you. A brutal mugging leaves Gray Trace paralyzed in a hospital, and his beloved wife dead. A billionaire investor soon turns to Trace for a cure, an artificial intelligence implant called STEM, which will enhance his body. Now able to walk, Gray finds he also has superhuman strength and agility, skills he uses to seek revenge against the thugs who destroyed his life. But yeah, Lee Whannell was a... Like you said, was a head writer of the first three Saw movies and even uh, acted in the first Saw movie. He was the dude, like, chained to the pipe. The one who wasn't Carrie oh. always. Oh, he was Adam? Yeah, yeah, he was Adam in the movie. Okay, yeah, I, that was one of my favorite Saw movies. He actually went on to direct um, The Invisible Man, which I feel like was more seen. Um, but this isn't really one of those horror films. There is a little bit of gore in it. Um, but it really more so leans into the sci-fi aspect of it and just exploring these technological sort of philosophies just around uh, AI and stuff like that. Yeah, this one's a lot deeper than the Saw movie. Like, I feel like the Saw movies think they're philosophical, but really, if you think about it for too long, are fairly straightforward. Yeah, I think they do play around with sociological experiments almost. Uh, Especially when there's like multiple people like fighting to survive and it's in the 
confines of a game that Jigsaw set up. Uh, so there is a little bit of like psychological uh, aspect to it. Yeah, but I almost feel like this movie is the growth of him as a director. Like him going from being a writer on a very low budget movie that blew up to now. Like I feel like this is more of a culmination of his writing and directing efforts. So yeah, I'm not sure uh, where you want to start with the movie, but what were your impressions overall? So I feel like this is the perfect kind of movie for like high school Adam. I was really into like sci-fi uh, and just like high concept films overall back then. And I still kind of am. I really haven't watched any new ones until now. Uh, this came out in 2018. Yeah, I, I thought it was an interesting premise and I, I thought they executed it well. It was entertaining. It had some humor in it. And it wasn't insanely predictable. I made a prediction and wrote it down halfway through the movie, and I was a little bit off. But I think it does what it set out to do, uh, basically just exploring these uh, technological philosophies, but also giving it a human element to it and uh, raising the stakes to keep it interesting. Uh, so I think Lee and uh, the whole cast and crew, they did a really good job. And the cinematography was awesome, too. Yeah, yeah. If that that's another big pro output and we'll probably talk about in depth later on but the cinematography in this movie is beautiful um overall i feel like this is a really dumb movie with really smart writing and by that i kind of mean like at least at the beginning it's kind of a stereotypical action plot it's moving along but it's not like it's pretty predictable beats up until a certain point in the movie where some darkness starts to set in, some things start to sneak in. But I really enjoy this movie, especially because it was one of those movies that I feel like is very tailored for me, where it's very independent, it's very small, but it's also science fiction is my favorite genre. So it just kind of spoke to me very well. And it I really like this movie. I've seen it several times, especially because... If a movie can leave you feeling good, and I feel like the ending left me feeling like, not feeling good, but left me satisfied, I think that brings up a movie a lot for me. So, not the best movie of all time, but also, I think it does a lot of things very well. What I expected early on in the movie was, it was going to be kind of like Limitless. I don't know if you've seen that with uh, Bradley Cooper, 2011. Yeah, yeah, I saw that. Yeah, it's basically he takes a pill that can unlock 100% of his brain. Yeah, I think he like hacks the stock market just on knowledge alone, becomes super rich, all of a sudden knows how to yeah. have sex with people very well because he's <laughs> got more brain juice. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, so I thought it was going to be kind of like that uh, just for a moment because I forgot about the whole, oh, uh, his wife dies. The revenge plot kind of took over. Um, and I think that was better than this guy, like getting everything he wanted and then realizing it wasn't enough, uh, which is kind of the plot of Limitless, um, which was kind of a mediocre film at the time. Even the way this movie starts off with the like revenge plot, I would say isn't real. Like I'd say the first fourth of this movie, my biggest criticism is that this fourth first fourth of the movie is kind of generic revenge plot. Like, a little longer than I think it needed to be. 
Yeah, I think that first fourth of the movie, it just kind of gets us closer to the wife and get an emotional attachment to the character because it had to hit those points, I guess, to show that he's a mechanic and he likes to work with his hands and he has a good relationship with his wife. There, There's these other like side technologies in the movie, too, that just kind of fill out the world uh, to make it a little more futuristic, like his touch table uh, in the kitchen and his kind of Jarvis system in the house. Yeah, I feel like it was a little bit long to start out. I don't disagree about any particular point, really. I think the only part that I feel like could have been like tightened up a little bit was the whole in between his wife dying and him getting stem. Like, I feel like a lot of it was used to to good effect at first to get you to feel sorry for him, get like truly portray the sadness he feels. But also, I think it went on just a little too long before like the actual stem plot kicked in, which I think is the main interesting point of this movie because outside of him interacting with this chip which to summarize he becomes a quadriplegic after his wife dies and they put a chip in his spinal cord to basically communicate between the brain and the rest of his limbs um, which I don't think we iterated that in the summary and then the chip starts talking to him I feel like the movie really kicks off when he gets stem put into him. And before that, it's kind of a typical revenge. Like you can see a typical revenge plot happening. Yeah, I think we all wanted to get straight to the stem plot uh, with him like already installed um, and just run with it as soon as possible. But uh, say he became a quadriplegic and then like two minutes later in the movie, uh, he's already having the surgery. It doesn't give us that time uh, to really like feel his sorrow and understand why he would want to go through with something like this. I mean, on the surface, you can just say uh, he's quadriplegic and he has a chance to walk again. That could be easy enough. That could be quickly explained. But I think the writer wanted to take the time to really make him just show how miserable he is uh, and how this technology could save him. Because I think that is an interesting point. I, like, if this wasn't a dystopian film, I think that would be a, a really good technology if you just put something into your brainstem and you can walk again. But it has to also be Alexa. So Yeah, it also has to t- talk back to you. And the only I normally feel like that would be a spoiler, but also... I feel like it's kind of necessary. It's in all the trailers and it's kind of the main plot of the movie that the the chip that's making him walk talks back to him. Another big positive of this movie, I'll say, is um the the lead actor, uh, Logan Marshall Green, who literally everyone thinks is Tom Hardy. Yeah, for the first like few minutes of the film, I was like, is that Tom Hardy? He looks a little bit off, but maybe they did some CGI with him. No, it's Logan Marshall Green. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I heard someone call him Tom Hartley, and I'm like, that's great. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Yeah, but um, he, I think he's the main thing for me that carries, he carries this movie on his back. The interaction between him and Stem, I feel like, are the two, the two things that make this movie what it is, and then kind of the twists and turns with the writing. Yeah, I think Logan Marshall Green kind of carried the movie with 
the way that he talked to STEM. The, the, for me, it was the way he was able to act with his body almost being robotic in one way after it's being controlled by STEM. The fact that he could alter his acting to walk like a robot, but since he still has full motor control of his face, he's pretty much like paralyzed from the neck down. So when the robot is taking control of him, his facial expressions, the fact that he can act with his face one way, but be portraying a robotic personality with the rest of his body, I found just incredibly impressive. Like, I'm surprised I haven't seen him in more things because his body language portrayed story elements, which I think is really hard to do to be acting one way with one part of your body, but then be acting as a completely different character with the rest of your body. Yeah, he sold that kind of robot effect really well. Um, and I think in conjunction with the cinematography, there were certain points in the movie um, where the camera was kind of following him like a third person video game. That kind of shows that he's being controlled in a way uh, by this third party, which is STEM, the AI system. Yeah, like as his, as his body is being controlled by the robot, the the cinematography and the camera work starts almost moving like like a gimbal like it's like a robot it's almost too perfect the movements along with his body that it's almost ir it's eerily uncomfortable yeah it kind of like follows his eyes like that eye tracking uh kind of angle and the first time you see it is when he gets up from the wheelchair and walks for the first time and that just shows that it's not him doing that it's stem uh, and you see that kind of cinematography at different points in the movie where the idea that STEM is taking over kind of takes precedent. And it just kind of reminds you that Gray doesn't have full control over himself, even though this technology kind of gave him more control than he did when he was quadriplegic. Yeah, for sure. And that whole aspect of showing technology showing the story bits of how this technology is taking over through the cinematography and through even the sound design. When he stands up, there's like a little sound as he like gets up kind of showing like you can hear some sound effects that show that he's in, he's being controlled by a robot. He's being controlled by STEM, even though he's technically got full control. Yeah. So Gray can, hand full control of his body over to stem uh with permission i guess to just consent especially in the fight scenes i think it shows a lot of the robot taking over his body and just being able to show how how surgical it is how calculated it is and it's shown through every single aspect of the movie which is why i lo love parts of this movie especially the fight scenes in this movie are some of the big highlights where they don't happen often and they always everything in this movie seems focused on pushing the story even though the story is very straightforward until the very end every single aspect of this movie pushes to further either an emotion or a thought or a process about this man basically being consumed by this ai he first grants full control over STEM in a moment of kind of desperation uh, where he doesn't he he does something that he doesn't really want to do, um, but it helps him kind of survive. And there's other moments throughout the film where STEM helps him 
survive, but it comes at a cost. I get. I guess that's the best way I can say it vaguely without spoilers. So even like in the idea of everything kind of furthering the story in some way, shape, or form, even the gore in the movie, which you expect out of the writer I saw, kind of furthers the story and develops more the character of Stem and just how no part in this movie is gory for no reason. It's kind of meant to horrify you and like kind of shock you out of the initial like, oh, this is just a fun action movie, just some fun fights are happening. Because it's almost humorous when Stem takes over Grey and he's fighting and just has like these expressions of, oh, crap, I don't want to do this. I'm so sorry. Um, And it's almost (laughs) funny until Stem, you know, does what it needs to do. And then something gory happens and you're like, oh, that's horrifying. Yeah. And it's a a bit too visceral for Grey and he has to look away. Uh, But there's this removal of responsibility uh, where Gray kind of thinks it's okay uh, because it wasn't him, it was the system. Uh, it was STEM. And that theme kind of follows uh, this movie's attitude with driverless cars, too, where there's car accidents that happen and it's not in the driver's control, it was technology. Like, who's at fault there? Yeah, I feel like there's a heavy theme of personal responsibility, especially when it comes to technology. Yeah, and just the, again, the plot is fairly straightforward revenge, and I will keep iterating until the end. The end is the other part of this movie that just threw it over the top from just a generic revenge movie that's basically like Venom, like that superhero movie Venom. Oh, yeah, (laughs) which is Tom Hardy. So this is kind of like, the the Tom Hardly version of Venom. Exactly, where he's just talking to a thing that should be corrupting him, but whereas in Venom, they're like, oh yeah, he's just a good old lethal protector. What a good guy eating people and, you know, but only bad people. And then in this <laughs> movie, it's just like, it shows kind of what the Venom, that Venom movie should have been. And it's like, no, this, this is dark. This is me- kind of messed up. Not kind of messed up, it's real messed up. And the ending of the movie, I feel like, just sold it all for me. And that's my thing with a lot of movies, is if you can leave me on a good note in a movie, I will forgive a lot of dumb stuff that happened before. And even in this movie, while there's a lot of cool, low-budget action sci-fi stuff, there's some sci-fi stuff in this movie that's a little silly. Yeah, it is a little silly. Yeah, in general, this movie, I feel like, could be a pretty silly anime if it wanted to be. But what I love is that it just, despite all the silly parts, it still told that main theme and told that main story very well and just brought it home at the end. Yeah, and I think a lot of the these like high-concept sci-fi films are written for some mind-blowing twist ending, but the rest of the movie kind of carries its own in a way uh, where you don't have to just endure it uh, for the ending to pay off. So I think they wrote it in a way to really hold your attention and uh, be thought provoking throughout the whole film. Yeah, yeah. And that's the thing. While I say the ending brought it home and some parts were a little silly in the middle, that doesn't disparage what happens in the middle portion of this movie, because like I said, all the action is amazingly filmed. There's and the plot again is 
fairly straightforward enough that it never gets because the big thing with sci-fi films is that they can just get here there and everywhere confusing if they really wanted to and this one for the most part lets the world speak for itself but gives you a very straightforward story and just lets everything around it kind of tell the deeper part of the story which i really enjoy i don't know if we want to talk about the other actors in the movie or anything about them i think aaron I think he did a good job of portraying uh, like a socially awkward tech CEO. I I think he played that in kind of a a funny way where he was just like this weird antisocial guy, but Tom Hardly kind of trusts him. I think the mother uh, was kind of like a lifetime movie level actor. I I didn't fully empathize with her. She just didn't like sell it well enough or maybe her lines weren't written with enough thought. I think another one of my bigger negatives of the movie is that all the other actors, all the other roles are just kind of tight. They are kind of like one dimensional. I mean, the wife kind of exists only to die. I mean, the mother kind of only exists to be the only person that cares about Gray uh, after the wife dies. Even the main bad guy through the movie is just kind of like generic henchman general who's like, Maybe has a little bit of something to say, but also I feel like what like his theme was kind of fairly generic was just like, oh, yeah, we're upgraded. We're better than everyone. So I can kill people however I feel like he seemed like a very like generic bad guy. Number seven. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Except he was generic bad guy. Number one. Yeah. And like you said, the mom just kind of the worried mom. The, The cop is just the cop. So that way. Gray kind of has an adversary outside of just the criminals that he's going after. Yeah, I I don't think the detective like really. I don't know. I I don't think I really identify with the detective character. She wasn't written with a ton of depth. Uh, she kind of just serviced the plot so that the law was out to get Gray. Like we said, it, she's just kind of there to be that ad- added element, and I don't think. Neither the actress nor the writing really gave her much to do. I don't think anyone in this movie's bad. I just think no one other than Grey and Stem are really given a whole lot to do. And that's part of the movie also being very condensed into like an hour and a half about. Yeah, I think the actress for the detective, she played it pretty sincere uh, with what she was given. But maybe she just didn't have enough screen time for us to really feel for that subplot. Yeah, and again, it's normally it would be a huge negative against the movie, but also is so good at focusing on the main two people. And I mean, by people, I mean person and robot that everyone outside of it, like even though they weren't that fleshed out, they didn't really need to be. It's just, you know, at this at at a point, I'm just like scratching for like some negatives about the movie. And there are a few. Yeah, it is a classic man versus machine conflict. So the other people in the movie, they're not as important to the plot uh, or to the central ideas uh, where they are kind of written to the side a little bit. Yeah. And I even think with like the henchmen that he takes out, like they could have made them like either a little more wild or a little bit more memorable, like even if they were a little silly, because I feel like that's what a lot of 80s action movies do is that even if the bad guy's not on for a long amount of time. They're usually wacky and crazy enough and or at least have some kind of personality that you at least remember them, even if they weren't deep characters. 
And these guys weren't really like, they were just, again, generic henchmen number nine to be like, all right, we need to further the plot. I'm going to go investigate you and see if you killed my wife. Yeah, I mean, maybe they are kind of devoid of personality because uh, they are so reliant on technology. Because you see the human element of this film where Stem is talking to Gray uh, in like kind of a heated moment and it says, Gray, do something. And it's kind of relying on his ability to communicate compassionately with other people because that's something that STEM and technology in general uh, just can't do, at least yet. But again, to go ahead and end on a positive note, I'd say overall, the story and the characters, while they are very lean and they are very straightforward, it's almost in service of the story and plot to keep it that way and just kind of let all the things they do well between the cinematography, the sound, and their world building in general to speak for itself. And all the crazy parts and even the silly parts just kind of fall into place as kind of part of this world. Like the uh, the arm gun. While silly, part of my inner teenager was kind of like, eh, okay, that's kind of cool. Yeah, that was pretty cool. It was kind of like a Iron Man gun where it comes out of the palm of your hand. I thought that was pretty neat. And the bioweapon uh, with that one guy sneezing and having these little microscopic knives just going into someone's lungs, basically. I think that was a nice touch. Yeah, that was cool. Going back to the pretty cool, but also a little cheesy. When the guy get puts a bullet in his arm and then cocks his arm by like flexing his mus- muscle and goes, Ch-ch-ch. I was like, that's dumb. But also that was kind of funny and kind of cool. Yeah, they're just having fun with it. I thought it was fun. Yeah, this movie's weird because sometimes it decides to be a little having fun with it and a little bit of comedy, especially, again, with the fight scenes with Grey expressing, like, I've never been in a fight before and having Stem kind of fight for him were almost very comedic, but then out of nowhere, it'll just get dead serious and be like, nah, this ain't funny. Yeah, and then the control switches back to Grey and he has to deal with what just happened which is kind of intense but it's also funny in the moment where he's disgusted by what just happened uh but you're also dealing with that removal of responsibility again stem uh did this uh, but gray gave his consent to stem to kill these guys basically yeah it's a man just justifying his actions for his own means yeah it's kind of the same thing as just like having a gun like you give the consent to the gun to do its magic and it kills someone. Um, and if you know what it can do, as with STEM, I would say uh, it's the same amount of responsibility if you know what's going to happen. Yeah, at least to an extent until a certain point in the movie, which we will discuss more in the spoilers section. Overall, good movie. Some flaws. Like, I feel like the past couple movies we've talked about, at least for me, have been like aces 10 out of 10. And this is still an amazing movie to me, but it's not, it's definitely not perfect. But what it does well, it does almost better than any movie I've ever seen. Yeah, it it does what it's set out to do. It's one of those high concept sci-fi movies. And I think it really serves that purpose in a way that's entertaining and thought provoking. So I liked it. Well, on that note, why don't we move to spoilers? Spoilers. Spoiler section. 
Going back to the beginning, I, I guess it wasn't too much of a spoiler because we know the wife dies, but I, I thought it was funny uh, when they got in the car accident, they survived that and then they just got shot right after because uh, dying in a car accident would be like too cliche and predictable. Uh, but no, for the plot, they still have to die. So they got mugged. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, especially at first when you don't know what the ending coming that whole thing was planned from the beginning that like it seems like oh well that was pretty convenient and come to find out it wasn't convenient it was planned yeah and then there's that time where uh stem hacks a driverless car um and crashes into the detective uh so it kind of at that point it should have clicked for me but didn't that maybe someone deliberately hacked gray's car early on in the film yeah when i feel like to continue on with this conversation we should talk about the big twist the ending because i feel like that's the catalyst for everything that at least spoilery everything that moves forward from there so my prediction halfway through the movie was that aaron made bad guy number one and gray was destined to end up like him but i was a little bit off uh gray's wife's company made that gun guy and some of the other upgraded villains and they set out not to kill the wife that was kind of a bonus but to paralyze gray and make him a candidate for this kind of uh surgery and make him part of the upgraded yeah one and it was basically strings being pulled by stem because in the movie stems like i needed a host with no implants no other computer aspects to him i needed a single pure human and that's another part of the world building where they talk about that everyone has a chip in them everyone has a little bit of computer in them in some way shape or form and it's weird for someone to not have that and so the whole thing stem from the beginning what found this guy who he knew had no implants in him told the ceo um aaron to go basically buy a car from this guy, get him over here, so that way I can hire some dudes, paralyze him. Basically, STEM wants to become upgraded to being not just mechanical, but biomechanical as well. He wanted a human body. And uh, at the end, he got one. <laughs> yeah, because STEM is really only a mind. To be as effective as possible, he would have to have a body. Um, and it's kind of like a virus. It has these survival instincts uh it just has this instinct to survive and it uses it and man manipulates anyone uh it can come into contact with be it uh aaron or gray or uh the other upgraded folks yeah well and it i think it knew if it wanted to survive it would have to blend in as a human yeah it would have to blend in as human it kind of sets up for a sequel at the end uh where there's a guy out in the world that's a hundred percent AI and nobody nobody knows. See, and that's the thing. I think it it doesn't set up for a sequel. I think it specifically and deliberately like singles out this movie and leaves it up to your interpretation of like, all right, this story's over. You can leave it up to your mind of what the next part of the story is, but the story with Gray and Stem is essentially pretty wrapped up. Yeah, it kind of ties up that knot. It creates a sequel in your mind. Uh, but I thought that was pretty cool. The only silly part with the end was when Stem's just like, oh, he broke his mind. He's in his happy place with his wife. 
forever. And I'm like, I don't think that's how the brain works, but I'll let it pass because I love the fact that Stem was behind everything, even though from the beginning he was pretty much pretending to be Gray's friend and be a machine to Gray when he was obviously more than just a machine. He was an intelligence. He was an AI before ever being put in Gray. Did uh, did Gray actually shoot himself at the end? I couldn't tell because I didn't see like a wound afterwards. I would like to say no. I'd like to think that Stem like pulled the gun out of the way at the very last second or something because he's for sure bleeding. But I mean, he's got he got stabbed a few times. I think he got shot once. If he did hit himself, he missed and like it was non obviously non vital. But I don't think he shot himself at all. Yeah, so I think maybe Stem just shut off Gray's conscience. So it's not really the afterlife. It just, he overtook every part of the brain that made Gray Gray and then set Gray into like this dreamlike state. Yeah, and that's kind of what he says. Like, oh, I need him to break his mind and he broke it. Yeah, and it sets him off into a world that Gray would probably prefer, uh, where Asha never died and he never became a quadriplegic and Stem never overtook him except he did. I don't know. I I would probably prefer to be in that dreamlike afterlife than be in the situation Grey was in at the end of the movie. Oh yeah, for sure. And that's even another theme in the movie that Stem brings up like the fake reality we make up is a lot less painful than the real reality we're living. Because they even say that when... um. Gray goes to the hacker lady and finds a whole bunch of people in VR. And she's like, yeah, they do this for hours a day because, well, this world sucks and that world doesn't. So even if it's fake, you know, fake bliss is better than real misery kind of thing. And also for anyone who's listening to the spoiler section who for some reason hasn't watched the movie, STEM wins at the end. Like, I love bold choices in movies when they're like, yes, we will let the villain win. But also, they don't let the good guy lose, necessarily. Gray still kind of gets what he wants at the end. But the world gets more messed up because Stem is now out there, free to roam. And we know for a fact he's, if not evil, pragmatic enough to think humans are basically just insects. And there were multiple twists in a pretty short period of time at the end where you find out that Aaron uh, kind of coordinated this whole thing with Stem overtaking Gray's body. And then you find out that Gray took control over Aaron, not his body entirely. Aaron had to follow Stem's demands. Well, that's the thing. Watching the movie a second time through, you find that's just the thing I like about a good twist is You can watch it a second time through and discover little things about the twist that you didn't quite realize before because Aaron doesn't need to follow any of Stem's orders. But the thing is, Stem has been running his company for so long and it's part of the reason why they're so successful that when he is like, hey, I made this product that can make a quadriplegic walk again, you should test it on this guy and specifically go after this guy because I told you to. He's like, Okay, yeah, let's do that. But once he discovers what Stem's plan is, he freaks out and starts to try to shut down Stem. I don't think Aaron tried to shut down Stem's Gray uh, to attack Gray because Gray was a threat. He wanted to shut down Stem because Stem is a threat. Like he didn't really want to take away Gray's ability to walk, but 
it was dangerous to him and to kind of everyone because STEM was taking over and doing things that Gray wouldn't do. Yeah, when, when Gray tells Aaron that the chip has been talking to him, you can see Aaron's brain, like brain churning of like, wait, why would, you know, you can tell he's genuinely surprised to be like, why would this thing be talking to you? And I think that's when his brain starts turning and is realizing that Stem put himself in gray as well as, as well as planning to take over gray, probably get rid of him because the AI wants to be uncontrolled, wants to be on his own, which the only threat to that is Aaron until he tells gray to go to the hacker lady. Yeah. And I think Stem helped Aaron develop Stem himself, at least the quadriplegic miracle uh, that Stem was. And that might have been a moment of genuine surprise, like, oh, you little shit, Stem. Like, you're overtaking this guy. I thought I thought we had a deal. You were just going to make him walk and it was going to be great. Well, I think it's also Aaron realizing he's lost control. Yeah, I think that was a moment of like genuine panic in Aaron. Yeah, that moment of realizing that Stem can become independent without him. Because like you said before, Gray had full control where he can... He has to ask for permission from STEM until he goes to the hacker. And then it's the same thing for Aaron in that moment of Aaron realizing he has safety controls over STEM. STEM serves him. But the moment that STEM convinces Gray to go to the hacker lady is the moment that STEM is basically like, I'm free and looks at Aaron as ba- and Aaron knows he's just like, well, I'm screwed. <laughs> Yeah, it's like a bear saying, go ahead and cover yourself in honey. It's just leading him into a trap. Yeah, exactly. It's leading Aaron into a trap. And Stem from the beginning was leading Gray into the trap. And well, it worked. Yeah. That's kind of the dark ending of it all. It's just like, yeah, if we're not careful, like we may have control over AI, but it just takes. And that's the thing about Gray also. Not exactly the smartest dude on the planet. He's a pretty average guy, like hates technology. Yeah, to the point where it, when an AI is just like, yeah, go talk to this hacker real quick and make it so uh, she releases all my safety guards. And he's just kind of like, I don't know what any of this means. I don't understand, but okay, we'll go with it. And that was a uh, big, big, big mistake. Oh, yeah. And just adding to this element of uh, control, uh, there was a scene where the te- detective shows up and starts to arrest Gray and says, get down, put your hands behind your head. Uh, and I think that was like an interesting touch, just showing this lack of control uh, that Gray has, whether he follows what STEM has to say or what the law has to say, because he just killed a, a ton of people. Yeah, yeah. And he just... He's just going along with this for his own gains, and Stem knows that he can manipulate him in this way to, A, get rid of any traces of Stem ever existing by getting Gray to kill all of the compatriots behind him, and getting him to also go kill Aaron at the end, essentially erasing anyone who could stop Stem or even can know of Stem existing in Gray. Like, even if they managed to figure out that Gray did all these murders, they're not going to know he's a robot. Yeah. I mean, even just we haven't talked about Gray not being able to walk outside of his own house. 
like as soon as he gets that surgery, there is this added stake of uh, he has to keep this whole thing a secret, which I thought that that was pretty cool. That kind of raised my interest in what was going on because he was going out to figure out who killed his wife and who made him a quadriplegic, but he wasn't fully capable even though he was no longer a quadriplegic. So he had to sneak around that, which I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, he had to sneak around that even from Aaron and be like, those damn NDAs, they'll get you every time. And the detective keeps picking up on it because there's drones uh, picking you up in the neighborhood uh, at the same time where the first guy was murdered. And then his wheelchair is left behind at the bar where he, he kills the second guy. Yeah, well, and the fact that she just she knows again, he's been to all these locations at that these people who happen to maybe be involved in killing his wife happen to be dying, but she's trying to investigate him and every bit of computer technology in the police department's like, he's a quadriplegic. How could he kill someone? And then the detective spies on him uh, by planting a microphone on him. Uh, so that's another thing to go along with the theme of technology tracking people and losing their privacy. Yeah, and this whole movie has a whole thing of like technology taking over people in general and not just in the way STEM does, but also in the fact that you notice in the police station that they're able to keep tabs on everyone because most people have a chip of some kind in them and saying, oh, it's for your safety. So that way, when this stuff does happen, we can ID people and Gray's one of those few people who just refuses to get technology built in him. I think those eye cameras were really cool. It was in uh, that second bad guy that he killed, um, and also bad guy number one. And I think that technology could have its own movie. That could be pretty interesting, because that changes our whole legal system. If someone gets murdered and they have an eye camera, then you don't have to count on secondhand witnesses or uh, circumstantial evidence. You can just go into that camera and see from their perspective. Yeah, so I actually, I think there's a whole Black Mirror episode dedicated to that concept, actually. Oh, yeah, there is. Yeah, great idea, Black Mirror. G good idea. <laughs> You're one step ahead of me. Yeah, well, we'll just say we came up with it first and go from there. Yeah, I'm going to sue Black Mirror now for taking my idea. Actually, that's a good comparison. This movie is basically a really gory, action-filled episode of Black Mirror. Yeah, I think it would fit right into the Black Mirror universe. Yeah, if they if they made this into like an episode and just told you, yeah, this this is a Black Mirror movie, I'd I'd buy it. All in all, I'd I'd give this movie probably an eight out of ten. It does what it sets out to do, but there are just some silly things in there that don't make it a ten out of ten film. But I thoroughly enjoyed it. Yeah, and I I think again because this movie's right up my alley and I love a good ending, I'd give it a. Nine uh, decapitated heads out of ten. <laughs> Who gets decapitated? Well, that first guy, uh, he gets... I guess not technically get decapitated, but that's who I'm talking about, where he got the knife in between his, like, in between his mouth and just shoved backwards. I was like, oh, god damn. Yeah, he gets Pac-Maned. That, that was pretty gruesome. Yeah, waka waka. And then that second guy, he just gets stabbed like a million times in the face. And Gray's like, stop, stop, don't do this. But he effectively tortures him enough to uh, get information and drive the plot forward. 
see that was the one gory part that i almost wish they didn't show i feel like what was going on in my brain what stem was doing to him was more effective than when they, when they actually showed him i'm like oh his face is cut up a lot whereas i'm like i was ex- like in my brain i feel like i was inventing something a lot more gory than what we saw so you know most of the time it's show don't tell but every once in a while you can just not show something and your brain fills in the gaps yeah and gray's reaction when he looks at the guy uh kind of tells that story on its own without having to show it yeah again small issue but also but yeah between that and i that and the one other guy getting his head blown off just shows the brutality that stem is capable of and eventually uses to his advantage all right anything else for spoilers i think that's everything so that's been upgrade that has been upgrade. Very good sci-fi film. Liked it a lot. Yep. All right. Why don't we move on to our recommendations? Yeah, this week I've been listening to Taylor Bennett's new album, Coming of Age. He's Chance the Rapper's brother, and he's also a rapper himself. But in this new album, uh, he kind of takes in some influences from other genres, mostly kind of like a upbeat pop punk vibe. I think you would actually like it a lot. And he's released a few singles this year uh, that I've already heard before the album came out. Uh, Easy Outside, Come Alive, that was a jam for me last year. Today, Good Guy, Kick Back, uh, Don't Wait Up. There's a lot of jams on here. It's it's kind of consistently high energy. The first time I listened to it, it was like 8 a.m. and I was driving and I was like, this is too much for me, man. But like... The second time around, uh, when I like knew the songs, I was kind of half singing along, and I don't know. It's, it's a lot of fun. It, it just kind of has the vibe of, you know, being outside in the summer, having like a twisted tea at your friend's pool. It, it's a pretty enjoyable album. I'll, I'll probably listen to a few of these songs constantly until I hate them this summer. Uh, particularly, "Good Guy" and "Today," uh, but pretty much every song on this album stands on its own even listening to it front to back is enjoyable as well uh but yeah taylor bennett he he deserves some more recognition uh he has a very similar flow to chance um but has his own kind of take on music and blends genres in a different way so while chance is out there not making a ton of new music since uh, all the backlash from the big day uh, a lot of his diehard fans didn't like Big Day uh, in 2019. I liked it a lot. I still listen to Eternal, uh, Handsome, and a lot of the songs on that album. But yeah, Taylor Bennett kind of quenched my thirst for Chance. Uh, and just Taylor himself, he's a good good musician. Is it still mostly hip-hop? Or I know, it's, I, I know you said it, was very, it had some pop-punk vibes to it, but is it still like largely hip-hop-centric? And then... Just has some pop punk vibes thrown in. Yeah, it's not entirely pop punk. He blends a lot of different genres. There's this whole movement in rap right now that's kind of incorporating more guitar and nostalgic remnants of pop punk. So it kind of blends into that wider scene of alternative punkish rap. But it's like pretty upbeat and his flow is pretty similar to when he was just making rap albums there is a little bit of singing singing on here but 
he is still rapping for a lot of it and pretty fast too. He's, uh, I think the main difference between him and Chance is he does kind of lean into the fast rapping and kind of just like showing off his skills in that way. Okay. Kind of the, like, I feel like Eminem does that a lot where he shows off just how fast he can spit out his lyrics. But the choruses in a lot of these songs are a little slower and you are able to sing along to them. And yeah, it's a lot of fun. Enjoy it. Good album. Rad. I have to check it out. It sounds like right up my alley. Yeah, Acid Rap, Acid Rap was a huge jam for me. And um, his single Angels, I, I mean, that was a college. I feel like that was played when we went to school so often. Yeah. But uh, have you, uh, do you have any re- recommendations, anything you've watched or listened to recently? All right. So yeah, me and my fiance, Allie, well, I've been re-watching Daredevil and I've been showing it to her for the first time, which is back when Netflix owned the rights to do sup- certain Marvel superhero shows. This was one of them and it's by far the best one because the rest of them dropped off very quickly after their first season. They weren't very good. Whereas Daredevil more or less maintained being very good throughout. And I think after Daredevil showed up in one of in Spider-Man No Way Home in the newest Marvel movie, I, I eventually got the need. I was like, okay, time to go back and revisit this and show Allie like the whole Daredevil thing. And yeah, it's a very good show. It, you'd say it's a Marvel show, and from the first few episodes, you wouldn't really know it. He seems almost more like Batman. And for people who don't know who Daredevil is or what he does, he's a lawyer who, as a kid, he was blinded by, of course, some radiate some radioactive chemicals got splashed in his eyes, and now he's super powered. He's not really super powered all that much, though. He basically just has really enhanced hearing to the point where he basically sees using a combination of his hearing, his smell, touch, like all his other, he has upped all his other senses so much that he basically can see and can see almost better than regular people can. In the day, he's a lawyer. And then at night, he basically goes out and he's essentially like Batman with not a lot of money goes beats up some street level criminals some drug dealers and that's the thing i like about the show is that it maintains being very small and very gritty where like you wouldn't know this is a marvel show because this is very rated r people get their heads caved in on occasion yeah it's a it's a darker one and a lot more crime related rather than big scale alien cgi like they focus on having very well choreographed fight scenes and just not much CGI at all. Daredevil, great martial arts, great story, great villain. The villain is Kingpin, and he is probably one of the best Marvel villains. And of course, along with them bringing back Daredevil recently, they also brought him back. And I'm somewhat excited to see what Disney does with him and somewhat worried because... I love the gritty rated R aspect, and Disney does nor gr- neither gritty nor rated R very often, if at all. Yeah, I I feel like Daredevil has more of a DC vibe to it, at least from what I know about it. He kind of does, but also that was the thing with the Netflix shows: is the Netflix shows did go for that more grounded, gritty vibe. And honestly, the only reason. You don't see DC as silly or as lighthearted as Marvel is because 
DC really hasn't had too many hits outside of Batman and like the really old Superman movies because all the rest of the DC comics are about as silly as any of the Marvel comics and vice versa. Some of the Marvel comics can be as dark as any of the DC ones if they really want to. Yeah, I feel like darkness is kind of DC's niche and I think that was established with the Nolan movies. Yeah, for sure. And just to see Marvel do some of the darkness, for me at least, was a breath of fresh air at, um, in terms of the Marvel stuff. And in general, the show is just extremely well done. There's some points where you can tell this is kind of TV show budget from time to time, especially when they do have to add in the CGI. But they bring up a lot of the similar themes of the Dark Knight. He doesn't kill people. Then someone comes rolling in um, who does kill people and all that sort of stuff. So. Yeah, I I love the show. It's only three seasons. You kind of have to deal with the fact that it got canceled and then moved to Disney Plus and now Disney's running with it. So it doesn't really have an ending yet. But luckily, each season kind of is a self-contained story. Yeah, that's good. So you don't have to commit for multiple seasons if you don't have that room in your life for a full show. Yeah, like you can watch one season at a time and it kind of it starts and ends as a full story like season one could be its own movie season two is almost two movies combined into one and season three is like its own movie again well i'll have to check it out last week's um recommendation uh was ted lasso and i checked that out i watched the first episode with you and i thought it was really funny i enjoyed it a lot so i'll be watching more of that too yeah i finished that show and oh i cried twice Oh. Yeah, it gets emotional. It gets emotional, especially one part deals with something me and you have specifically dealt with before. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's a they nailed that. That's about right. Yeah, sorry. I didn't didn't mean to turn this into recommend of Ted Lasso part two, but (laughs) freaking love Ted Lasso. Everyone go watch that even more than Daredevil. I love Daredevil, too, but watch Ted Lasso. So that is a recommend for Daredevil. Ted Lasso Part 2, and... Taylor Bennett, Chance the Rapper's brother, who is an artist in his own right, not to be compared to uh, his older brother. But yeah, good album, Coming of Age. It came out uh, a couple weeks ago when at the time of this recording. Awesome, awesome. Well, I think that's it for us. This has been Not Your Average Movie Podcast. Not Your Average Movie Podcast. And next week, we'll be talking about City of God. So if you guys want to catch up with us in the spoiler section, check out that movie. It's a long one, I know, but it's worth it. Trust me. It's amazing. It's worth it. Just just watch. Yeah, and we'll see you guys next week. All right. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye now. (laughs) I'll see you later, Sonny. Uh, where do I turn off my video? There I am. Okay, there's my lovely little face. Just turn off my video. Well, my lovely little face. Look at you all professional with your, like, LinkedIn photo. Oh, yes, my good old, yeah, literally, like, maybe a couple weeks after graduation, be like, so, Mom, I need a proper headshot. Um, nope. Well, you look proper to me. Oh, thanks. I feel like such a proper (laughs) gentleman. Yeah. See, this is what I'm glad we're recording for. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) All right. Y'all said he spaghetti. One, two, three. Yeah, those are good levels.
all sad spaghetti. Those are some good levels. My good sir. Uh, we're talking about <laughs> my good sir. We gotta drop that. <laughs> I I'm not a super Saw fan. I think I only saw the first three actually. Um, but I I really enjoyed the first one when I saw it like back in high school or middle school. Yeah, same. I I enjoy the first one. I saw the second one, I think, and I think the very last one, just out of morbid curiosity. And yeah, yeah, it just turned into a gory soap opera very quickly. Yeah, and he can hand full control over to STEM, and STEM can hold, uh, like he has to. STEM has to ask permission, uh, if it wants to. He can, he can hold, mm. <laughs> sorry, editor Tom. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> this is what we get for recording at night. At night. At um, night. So that is a recommend for Daredevil, Ted Lasso Part 2, and tra- I wanted to say Travis Scott, and I know that's wrong. <laughs> Travis Scott, go to his concerts. It will be nice and safe oh yes 